Welcome to the Traffic Masters Show. Each week, Traffic Masters explores the lifeblood of your business, generating traffic, turning visitors into leads, and conversion strategies. Mastering traffic and conversion allows you to grow a business you love and live the life of your dreams. Welcome to the show. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of Traffic Masters here on Blog Talk Radio. I am your co-host, Gina Gaudio-Graves, the Dean and Founder of Directions University at DirectionsUniversity.com. We have got yet another fantastic show lined up for you guys today. We have my co-host, Jack Humphrey, the Associate Dean of Directions University, joining us today. And I will let Jack do the honors of telling everyone about our guest. You there, Hello. Jack? Hello. Well, to the, yep. Uh, today we have Tom Schwab. And uh, Tom is a pioneer in inbound marketing, an industry-leading consultant, author, and speaker on the subject, as well as a business owner and entrepreneur. He grew his own business, Goodbye to Crutches, from a regional direct-to-consumer company to becoming one of the leading national companies in its class. He's the owner of two companies, actually, Goodbye Crutches and Inbound for E-Commerce, his inbound marketing consulting company. Tom knows how to build an online business with an inbound strategy. And he says something very interesting here. 2015 is time to quit the pay-per-click addiction, and getting a customer via pay-per-click is getting more expensive. PPC is like fireworks. You spend money, get a flash, and then go dark until you spend again. And this is what I want to hear more about. There are less costly ways to earn traffic, content that helps the buyer produce high-quality traffic for years. And so that's it for that. Tom, welcome. Hey, thank you for having me. Great to be here, Gina and Jack. Well, I'm I'm excited to hear more about this because I think a lot of people uh, are are thinking, you know, in terms of paid traffic, it's pay per click, it's Facebook, AdWords, all that kind of stuff. And um, you're saying that there's at, at least you're saying there's a tweak in what you're doing, if not a whole different way of doing things. Well, very much so. And you know, I think it was uh, Winston Churchill said that uh, the definition of an American is that someone would someone who will always do the right thing after they've tried all the wrong things. And <laughs> that would make me a red-blooded American because as we were growing our business from a regional player to a national leader, I was trying a lot of the, the tricks to, to chase a transaction, you know, the SEO trick of the week or the, you know, buying traffic with pay-per-click. And what I realized is that it's very easy to chase a transaction and to, to buy some traffic but you're really not buying a business. Uh, you called it a firework. Um, that's an analogy that, that I use uh, most of the time. That the one that's probably a little bit more true and uh, a, a little uglier is I call it my pay-per-click pay addiction years, where um, um, I would go ahead and, and buy some traffic. I'd get my fix, but the next day I had to withdraw because nobody else was coming to the site. And... To get the bigger fix, I had to spend a little bit more. And anybody that's ever done anything in buying traffic, and that could be Facebook ads or Google AdWords, anything like that, you realize that that is a very efficient system so that as more people come into it, the price is always going to go up. So when you do that, uh, you're always going to have to pay more and more for a fix. And it's really not building a business, it's chasing the transaction. So it was about uh, five years ago that we did a big change um, 
in how we were growing our business. And instead of trying to buy our traffic and buy our attention, we focused on earning our attention. Now, I looked at it and said that businesses have always sold to people that know, love, and trust them. And that if we can go ahead and put great content out there, answer people's questions, that we can attract them. And uh, that was our strategy, and it's, it's worked great. We used to um, buy 3,000 visits a month, and now we get 70,000 visits a month. And while that's small, it's a, it's a niche site, and all of those um, visitors have come because of helpful content that we've written. So as I look at it, um, content and really being helpful on the Internet, that's going to be the future of, of e-commerce and of any business and how to attract customers, engage them, and then really delight them afterwards. How much, how much are you talking about Google and search when you're talking about uh, content marketing these days? Since there's an awful lot of other ways to, uh, that that content surely is bringing, in you, bringing you traffic, how much is Google a factor in that? Well, I think if you look at the search engines and what you're going to – if you write for the search engines – you'll always be chasing them. If you write for the customer, then the search engines are going to be the ones that you know, find the good stuff for the customers. So with that, I, I think right. content is a little bit different. Um, content can be anything that is helpful to your customers. And really, it, the type of content you have to do is really based on, on what your ideal customers want. So content can be a blog. That's probably the most um, most common, but it could be an infographic, it could be a picture on Pinterest. You know, this, this podcast here is a wonderful piece of content. And, you know, people, some of them will find that through a search engine, through Google, but other ones will just find it uh, searching for other things. Uh, a friend will tell them about it. They'll see it on social media. Uh, so really it's not focusing on the search engines as much as it is, as it is focusing on your ideal customer. Right and let the search engines sort it as they will. You know, Google has to has to provide good results. So if you're helping them provide good results, if if that's, you know, and people are talking about it and everything and you're satisfying one of the over 200 points of <laughs> interest in the Google algorithm for determining what what should be in their top 10, then you're doing search engine optimization by default. Is that is that how you feel? Yeah, I you know I always say that anybody that thinks they're smart enough to outwit Google um, will soon find out that they're not, and they will be punished dearly for it. Uh, my uh, my background is in nuclear engineering, and I always say it's easier to run a, a nuclear reactor than it is to run online marketing. That being said, if you just focus on on the customer, uh, you can make it a whole lot easier because. Really, like you said, Google is trying to give the best search experience for, for their users. So if people are coming to your, your site based on tricks and they get there and they leave really quickly, then it's not a good signal. But if all of a sudden they're finding your content and saying, hey, this is great, so they stay a long time to read it, they check out different pages, they're linking back and forth to it, you know, none of that is SEO per se, but all of that is a very, very strong signal to Google that people are finding your content worthwhile. And if other people find it worthwhile, uh, I believe that the, the gods of the Google algorithm uh, will put that uh, to the top. And we've seen that. There's a, a site out there that you can put your, 
your website address in, and it will show your traffic um, on the y-axis and along the, the x-axis. It will show you the time, and they'll show you every time there was a Google algorithm update. And it's amazing to see that, that those sites that are focusing on content, they might not get helped on every algorithm update, but they don't get hurt. And that's very uncommon most of the time. You know, uh, people uh, do well with one algorithm and then they get destroyed by the other. So to me, it's not about trying to outsmart uh, the brains at Google, but just focusing on how can I help my customer. Yeah. Well, you know, it used to be a simple world, and I think you lived in that world. Uh, it was a it was a great time. I get real, really nostalgic about it because <laughs> we used to just be able to post and rank. I I kind of. Uh, unofficially trademark that term, post and rank, because it was really nice to be able to put something up that was good and have people react to it and have those reactions and the content and the keywords and everything else really please Google. And I got a huge amount, at least half of my traffic at that time was coming from Google searches. And we had a really good relationship back then, but there wasn't all of the different places to put your content. And the web has become so much more fractured that it's a lot less frequent now that searches uh, for content or discovery of content start with Google nowadays as opposed to back then. Uh, if you wanted to go find something, you just naturally went to Google. Most people did, and it was huge. And now you can, you can you know, follow great people on social media, and when they recommend really great content, you trust that recommendation even more than uh, Google because it's coming from a peer and uh, people that you respect and you chose to follow. So yes, that's how I'll go discover content now. That took a huge, huge, huge bite out of Google's daily traffic. And because people now finding it all over the place. And also the fracturing of the Internet means that the people are choosing places that they like to get their content. They like to get you know, updates and they like to hang out. Some people just hang out a lot at SoundCloud. Some people get a lot of content out of iTunes, and they just listen to podcasts all the time. A lot of other people get it from YouTube, the second largest search engine on the web. And so as a content producer, as someone who you know, is, is primarily or completely um, making your bones off of content marketing, how do, you, how do you deal with all the different channels that your content can go on to get in front of your ideal audience after you've produced it if it was just a blog post or a podcast or something else, just putting it on your site won't do much. You have to syndicate it to all those different channels, otherwise people are actually uh, spending a lot of their time. How do you deal with that? You know, with the fracturing uh, is, a, is a mixed blessing. You know, it used to be that, like you said, you could post and rank, but I think that was with any marketing. You know, the, the first person to, to put up a billboard, everybody looked at the billboard and Within a couple of years, there were so many billboards that nobody saw. Same thing with email. When we got that, we were excited by it. So that's the natural thing in, in any industry. So with that, you always need to stand out. But I think the fracturing actually helps us because as they fracture, they get to be more and smaller and smaller markets. And the, the key to, to getting traffic and engaging traffic is not that you want so much of it is that you want quality traffic. You know, you don't need 7 billion people to your site. You just need your, a small portion that are ideal customers. And going back to, to Google again, um, you know, if people come to your site 
and they're ideal customers and they like what you have, they're going to stay longer, and that's going to help you. So getting back to you know the fractured and where you are, I always say that you need to be exactly where your customers are. And so with that, you need to identify very quickly who your customers are and where they are. So I would say, you know, if, if your customers are on Facebook, then you should be on Facebook. If they're on Twitter, you should be on Twitter. But if they're not, you've got no business being there. It's like fishing for sharks in a swimming pool. It's, it's a waste of time. So with that, you should always look at where your customers are. So if they're on a LinkedIn group, that's where you want to be. That's where you want to be sharing your content and really focusing that down on that. Um, like you said, Google and, um, and YouTube are still the biggest search engines, but they're not the only ones. And the wonderful thing I love about marketing today is that it used to be that 50% of your dollars were wasted. You just never knew which 50% they were. So with this now is that we know with the analytics what works and what doesn't. So we can continually learn from that, and we can see what's working and double down on that and see what isn't and stop that. I mean, this, this podcast is probably a, uh, a prime example, and I'll just give my, my own example. One of my ideal buyer personas, the customers that I love to work with, are those people that are just frustrated that they can't get traffic or good traffic or you know, they're paying a fortune in, in pay-per-click, and those are the people I, I help. Well, this podcast, you know, with the, the traffic masters and the following you have, there's probably ideal customers out there. So I would much rather be on this, this podcast than I would be, say, Good Morning America, because I probably don't have a whole lot that I can sell or help, you know, uh, moms in the morning that are watching Good Morning America. So even though this audience could be a fraction of the size of Good Morning America, it's got more of my customers. So really focusing on who you want to talk to. Yeah, we're only like three percentage points lower than Good Morning America in audience share. That's, that's just that's <laughs> no big deal. We're, we're going to take them over. Probably next week is when we'll pass them up. Awesome. Uh, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> well, <laughs> to have that big of an audience and have it be so. targeted would be awesome. <laughs> I'll just say it's yeah. too early in the need to get on that show. <laughs> I know I can't I can't stand drive time. Uh, yeah, so well, you totally. I mean, that's that's what Gina and I talk about all the time. You're totally on the money with. Uh, so nobody here is going to be surprised to hear you say these things, um, because we kind of hammer it home as much as possible. Targeting and and smaller audiences with higher uh, relevance than bigger audiences with. Uh, you know, I mean, I I sold uh, uh, fifty thousand books back in two thousand two called Power Linking, and the whole premise was uh, the, the the subhead was Power Linking your way to one million hits, and and that's what everybody thought they wanted at the time. That's what I thought I wanted too, and because I was just generating tons and tons and tons of traffic, I wanted to show everybody how I was doing it, and the whole game was just generating tons of traffic, and everybody since has learned pretty much that it's not about, you know, getting a million hits, it's about getting so many customers every year. <laughs> and that million Bye. hits we started to find out doesn't necessarily always lead to the customer goals that you have, the sales goals that you have. So that targeting stuff is is really important. And it's also it's I think one of the biggest problems in the industry is people having so many choices. Um the fracturing thing, I'd like to go back a little bit to that because 
that you could if you're like you said if there, if your audience is on Facebook but the thing is for most people it most of your audience might be on Facebook most of the time but then there's other things that you can go and do super targeted little niche places that you can go and um and then so there's always somebody selling a course on hey you know you should be doing slide share you should be doing this you should be doing that and here's my tactic here's my tactic for LinkedIn here's my tactic and a lot of people look at all these things and even though they hear you say you need to really hone in on your audience and where they are, and I think people aren't really sure about that process of finding out for absolutely sure where their audience is and in what concentrated levels. And so that's what makes them uneasy, and they're kind of like bass. When a shiny thing flies by, they snap out at it, and that's how you catch bass. <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're mean little things, and they don't want you in their area, and they – and so uh, the shiny things that fly by, how to do this on Facebook, how to do that on Twitter, how to do – that's what's keeping a lot of people really shallow and not deep in any one area. Can you talk about shallow versus deep? Have you uh, any stories that you want to tell about uh, a successful campaign where you were able to maintain ultra-focus? I, I would uh, definitely like to talk about that. And I think you're right you know, spot on there, Jack, because um, – there's so many new tools that come out, and every week there's there's a new tool that's going to promise you this or, or 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 do that for you. But the problem is is that a powerful tool will not work better for you if you don't know why you're using it or how to use it. Uh, the the story that I always use on that is that a friend of mine um, had a tree cut down, and they cut down the tree, and then the guy used the chainsaw to carve a um, a beautiful eagle in it. Well. I took that same chainsaw and a couple months ago, I almost sawed my leg off of it. And it was the same it was the same tool, it was the same power, but it was really not understanding how I was using it or not having the creativity and the skill and everything. And so mm-hmm. starting with the strategy of trying to figure out who my customer is and what I want them to do. I always say that the future of the internet here, our grandparents are more um ready for it than I think we are or definitely our kids are, right? Because it's not about how many Facebook likes you can get. It's not about how many Twitter followers you get. People only buy from people they know, love, and trust. So how are you using the tools not to replace yourself but to amplify yourself so that more people that are ideal customers get to know you, get to like you, get to trust you? And it shouldn't replace you. It should really automate you. And, uh, you know, I, I look at that and say that, um, uh, you know, we've got some customers, one's a, a high-end business coach, and it breaks all of the rules of the what most people will tell you. You know, we did a lot of testing with them, and, and, you know, everyone will tell you the worst time to send an email is Sunday night. Well, we tested all the different times, and what we found is that his peop- his ideal customers – wouldn't open it during the week. They were business owners. They were CEOs that couldn't, you know, have the time to check their email. But on Sunday night as they were getting ready for the week, they'd open his emails then. You know, we looked at it and said when when he would write blogs or put stuff on social media, these people didn't really have time for it. But when he started to be on podcasts and they were listening to these as they were driving to and from work on their commute, that's where he was connecting with them. So with that, nice. you know, we and I can't say that we hit that on the first shot. 
we tried a lot of different things, and we could see very quickly what was giving results and what wasn't. And I always say that the expert in any business is not, is not the business owner, and it's not the consultant that comes in. The only expert in any business is the customer, and they'll tell you every day with their actions and with their dollars what they like. And it's really a matter of just trying to listen to what they're saying and then doubling down on what's working and stopping what's not. Nice. Yeah, I always like to say if you see an infographic that says the best times to post on social media or specifically like Facebook or Twitter or something, run away. Do not read a single word because <laughs> it will color the way that you look at things in a bad way. It, it, it's it's not enough data for somebody to just say that generally, generally on Saturday is a really good time to post on Facebook, generally. But they never put the word generally, and they never describe what, you know, if you do a political poll, you have to, by law, say the plus or minus on it. You have to say the error margin, you know. But on the web, there's no requirement to, I mean, you just put flat-out lies out there. And even if somebody's trying to be helpful, saying that we found that, the best time to post or or the best way to reach our customers if they don't include who their customers are, what their product is, how they're trying to serve, and all those other data points, then the, the, the next part of their sentence is a moot point for you. It means nothing to you and your business. But it don't, don't you love those infographics that come out that just generally say the best way to do something or the best way to do this or the best time to post on social media? And it's just weird, isn't it? It's it's big data, and you can't say that it's wrong, but you can't assume mm-hmm. that it's right. Uh, the example right. that I always use is the average temperature of the Earth is 54 degrees. All right? So yeah. what does that mean? Well, if you have no other information, that would probably be a good place to dress for it. But if you walk out you know, in Antarctica, knowing that the average temperature is 54 degrees does no good for you. The flip side, too, is if you're, you know, uh, in Miami in, in the middle of summer and you dress for the average temperature, it does you no good. So if you've got no other information, start with the big data, but then test it. Uh, what I always, right. you know, respond to almost everything is that's a good idea. We should test that because I have my opinion, you have your opinion, but the only people's opinion that matter are our customers, and they'll tell us very clearly what their opinion is. Yeah. I'm glad you picked the story that you did because I know people are in niches that are tough, that they also know that when they see generalizations, big data stuff, that it doesn't necessarily apply to their niche until they test it and, and find out. But that, that was a really hard niche that you're talking about. People who aren't social butterflies on the web, they don't show up in the usual places. Uh, you're in a market where uh, you found out that they listen to podcasts. And thank God for that, right? Because it's hard sometimes to pin down certain kinds of uh, B2B professional markets where you look at that person's social media profile and it hasn't been posted to forever. And you've emailed them and they just haven't responded. And you're starting to run You think, man, is there any place that you can reach certain kinds of people online? And the fact that you came, you stuck with it and came up with, hey, they listen to podcasts in this market. Let's Let's hammer that a little bit and see – if we can, you know, knock some fruit loose, and you did. So uh, I, I still maintain that there's not, there's not a market out there that you can't reach somehow, some way online, that you don't have to be 
uh, that there's not a market out there that you have to do postcards and go shake hands and go to conferences and things. Uh, you just have to understand that you have to keep going and you have to get a result. So if you have to get a result, because like people pay you to get a result, you have to get one for them. So you aren't allowed to quit. But a person who's just doing it on their own, you know, this is just to go out to all those guys listening, keep at it because you have to get a result. Pretend like you're paying yourself or someone else is paying you and you have to get a result. Then keep going because the solution is absolutely out there. And, Jack, I think you make a very good point that you have to get a result and you have to tell yourself beforehand what that result is. You know, because you said that not everybody's going for traffic anymore uh, or just, you know, a million hits. But I think there's still this allure of, you know, I've got 50,000 Twitter followers. It doesn't matter that 49,000 of them are, are robots or um, that I've got this many Facebook likes. Um, Michael Stelzner from Social Media Examiner just shut down his group on LinkedIn. And a lot of people, um, you know, were asking questions on it. And I was talking to him afterwards, and they had 43,000 people on their LinkedIn group. And everybody was saying, well, why did you shut it down? And he was very clear. He said it wasn't meeting our business goals. They had people that had to go ahead and spend time and delete the, the spam comments and do other things. And as they looked at it, they weren't, they weren't getting business from it. So mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't meeting his objectives. So you know he had it, he shut it down, and I would say that's that takes a lot of courage. And if you if you decide beforehand what results you want, it makes it much easier to say did this work or didn't it work? Yeah. Well, I, that's funny. I just went through LinkedIn uh, yesterday and started checking out more groups um, around some niches that we. Uh, we serve and we want to get into, and it, I'd find these huge groups, 25,000, 38,000, 45,000, whatever, and um, LinkedIn will tell you what the activity is right at the very top. As soon as you go in, it'll say eight conversations in the last month. And I'm thinking 43,000 people and eight conversations in the last month? How well do I think I'm going to do here? And I don't get you know hung up with the numbers. It's sad. It's like, wow, so all these people signed up. And you could see the energy that the person who created the group had for it in the beginning. We're going to do this, and it's a great place to find out and help each other and network and all this stuff. And you could see that right next to eight conversations in the last month. And, and I mean, you could have eight conversations in the last month from just the group owner. And so the group owner's not even into it anymore. And uh, that is kind of telling. But don't get – yeah, you're absolutely right. Don't get uh, – uh, all shaken up about the numbers because it's easy to rack up numbers. Just like the power linking thing, it was easy for me to get uh, well over a million uh, visitors unique a year, but it didn't always match up. If people were sitting outside my circle and imagining how much I must be selling because of those million unique visitors every year, they would almost always be wrong in their numbers and their estimations. And they would always be shooting higher, almost always be shooting higher than what I actually was able to sell until I wised up and went, wait, I need to get a lot more targeted and be proud of the fact that I only got 250000 in the last year not or, or even less. If you're really super targeted, I think that a lot of people would be super unimpressed with your, your traffic numbers. Like, what? Wow, you poor guy. Let me go send you some traffic for free or raise money for you. Or, but if you're really targeted, you could be doing better than the guy who's getting two or three million hits a month. 
Yeah, I always look at, you know, the, the profit or the sales of a business is really three fact factors. And I look at it like a box. So one side of the box is the number of visitors. The other side is the engagement that you have with those. And then the third side is how much you're delighting them. So with that, you know, you can have all the all of the, the visitors in the world, but if you're not engaging with them or delighting them, you, you don't have a box. There's no place to put money in. But in the same way, you know, if you can engage them and you can have lots of visitors, but if you don't delight them, meaning that you've got a product that they can say, hey, I'm delighted so much with this that I'm going to give you money, then you'll, you won't get any money out of it or any sales mm-hmm. or profits. So I just look at that and say, you know, that you've got to you've got to make that box and and um, and maximize the volume of that box. So uh, you got to make sure that none of none of those three sides, either the engagement, the attracting, or the delighting, is your limiting factor. And you can keep going around that and and look at your business and say, what do I need to do more of? Do I need to to attract more traffic? Do I need to engage more customers, or do I need to delight them? And, you know, delighting can be working with the lifetime value of it. You look at a company like um, Starbucks, I think the average purchase at Starbucks is like $4. Um, But with that, they estimate the lifetime value of a customer is $37,000. Those are some delighted customers. Yeah, that's like like a monthly. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So so with that, I was was just getting ready to say, go, go ahead, sorry. Looking at that, that's how you build a business and a brand as opposed to chasing a transaction. You know, um, if, if them selling a one more cup of coffee doesn't make a difference, but them delighting a customer and having that lifetime value, that's where the value is. Okay, so let's let's make this a little bit harder. Somebody out there is thinking right now, okay, I've heard people say content marketing is the thing. And attract, engage, delight. I get that. I understand. I'm in a competitive market, and other people in my market have really picked up on this content marketing thing. They, too, are getting away from paid traffic. They are bringing quality to the market, and some of them are doing really good. They have a real, they have a real rapport with their audience. You can tell on their Facebook page that people love them, and they engage with them, and and they did some really, really cool content stuff in the last month. I mean, some really neat stuff that got some big numbers, got lots of engagement. I see all of that, and I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to do something like that. How do I pull focus in a market that's really competitive away from or, or draw attention to myself if I'm not really sure what kind of content I can – it seems like every time I get an idea, I go to their blog and they've already done it. Or – you know, you know what I'm getting at, right? It's like, how can sure. I do what they're doing in this market where I've already tried it? I've made some blog posts and I got no comments. I got very little engagement. It felt like pity engagement on, you know, from friends and family uh, on Facebook and things like that. I don't know what I need to do to break in and actually do those three things: engage, delight. You know, what 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 do you say to people like that? Yeah. Well, first of all, there's definitely a first mover advantage. And so the first person out there um, is going to have going to have the advantage. That being said, um, this is new enough that there's not a saturated markets in in places. 
And I would I would go back and say that most people don't know if it works or does or doesn't work. Um, there was a study put out by HubSpot where they looked at 14,000 um, accounts they had there, and one of the things they found out that there was no difference in traffic if you blogged less than four times a month. So if you're just blogging one time a week, that's not content marketing. You're not adding enough fuel to the engine to see results. The other thing they showed is that for there to be a significant upturn in traffic, you had to go ahead and have 200 blogs out there. You know, your first blog is not going to, uh, to revolutionize your business. And you never know which one it is. But if you're helping people, answering their questions, and I always say that's, that's, the, best, uh, that's the best blog or content out there is just answer the question. If they've got a question, you want to be the one that, that, uh, that uh, answers it. And look at mm-hmm. not only what your customer wants, but look at your personality too. One of the examples that I love to give is that my background is an engineer. Um, you know, I ran nuclear power plants. I always say English is my second language, and I really don't have a first language. So for me to write a blog is painful. So what I've done over mm-hmm. the last year or so is I go ahead and I dictate all my blogs. I get a great idea. I think it through, and then I'll go ahead and record it on my phone. And there's an app out there called Rev.com, and they'll go ahead and dictate that or transcribe it for you for a dollar a minute. So most people speak at about 150 words a minute. So if I record four minutes, I know I've got a 600-word blog. So I, I, I record it. It comes back in, do some changes to it, and boom, I've got a blog. It works for me. Well, I had so many people asking me, well, how do you do that? How do you do that? Well, to me, it was easier to just explain it on a video than it was to, to try to do it step by step. So in my car, I recorded how I did it and said, you'll find the transcription below. This is how I do it and everything. And I put it up there. Now, my audience liked it because they were asking questions about that. I liked it because that was the easiest way for me to to share the content and put it out there. And, you know, mm-hmm. the first couple of weeks, um, it got some attention. And then all of a sudden, somebody saw it and picked it up and put it on Reddit. Now, I had had probably, I don't know, 100, 200 blog posts before that. None of them went viral. Why this one went viral, I have no idea. You know, but you've got to keep doing it out there. So to say that nobody engages with my blog or... Um, uh, you know, nobody likes it. Yeah. Just because they don't leave a comment doesn't mean they don't like it. If they're reading it on a mobile device, it's really hard to, to type away there. Flip side, too, right. is on link, LinkedIn, if they go ahead and hit the like button, it doesn't mean they even read it. So going back and, and looking at the analytics, you know, once a month on your site and say, okay, what pages had the longest stay time on those? What pages had the most views? That will give you a lot of data behind it. But I would say that, uh, like most things, most people give up before they realize whether or not it works. Yeah. Well, let me throw a little wrench in the system again and say, what if there was another way? (laughs) I want to get your opinion on this other way. So I think you still need to get to that point. For you, it was 201 uh, in that example. And if you hadn't gone past 200, you would have never gotten to 201, which actually went viral. And and it's not to say that you have to that 200 is a magic number or anything, but 
your keep goingness was in in high gear, and you kept going, and you finally found that thing. And I think when people are really thriving in their market, when you're not jealous or uh, feeling bad about yourself or anything about somebody else's success, and you're just happy to be in the market, you're happy for their success, and you're just intermingling all the time with data, with new articles, new ideas, new concepts, and then bringing that back to your people. They can, they can sense an energy about what you write, what you record, what you put on video that is contagious. And they're like, okay, I like this person. They seem freewheeling. You, you see all these people who are su- uh, succeeding out there, and they just seem to be really rolling around in how happy they are to be doing what they're doing. And, and people can sense that in their writing and their recordings and everything else, I think, is my theory. Because those are the kinds of people that I follow. Those are the kinds of people, when they send me an email, I remember the blog post that got me a bunch of new traffic or gave me a new technique for how to create better funnels or whatever. And I'm all ears when that email comes. And if that email is recommending a product, all that goodwill that was generated in that last blog post I really liked, which might have been their 201st, uh, <laughs> you know, really has a lot of an impact on whether I go and check out this thing that they're recommending. And, uh, to, but to get back to the traffic stuff, I think a lot of people believe that it's all on their shoulders. And In fact, I know that most of the people that I've ever consulted, students I've ever had, believe that, all right, here's my plan. Jackie told me to get a plan. Here's my plan. I'm going to be like six, six months, nine, maybe 12 months before I really get to see anything significant. And I'm, I'm down for that. I am totally, totally into that. And uh, they're thinking, you know, I'm being a real hardworking businessman. They go back to the captains of industry always saying you don't get anywhere without sweat and work and hard and toil and everything else. And they think that, you know, I'm just doing what the poster told me to do, work real hard. And I keep saying, look, there's people out there, you're going to run into them, you probably already have, who have all the traffic that you want. They have the attention of the exact market demographic that you want. If none of the part of the next six, 12, six to 12 months includes getting on their radar and that you're going to generate all of your popularity, all of your engagement, and everything from the sweat of your own brow with no leverage whatsoever, then you're about to make a really big mistake, and you'll never get to month 12. You'll be so burnt out way before that that you're going to become a statistic. And so then we start talking about that. Well, what's that mean? It means there is somebody uh, who has a stage that you can stand on and open up for them like an opening band. <laughs> you know, And it, if they like what you do and they don't see you as a threat and a direct competition, then uh, you can get in front of their traffic in the next two weeks or the next two months, and then all of a sudden you're experiencing the kind of traffic, engagement, flow that you were planning to only have by the time you got to month 12, if you were really, really lucky. Do you talk about leverage do, with your new clients? Do you, always, do you lo- also look at where can we just go find some leverage and get them in front of yeah. the right people right now while we're building their business? It goes back to what we were talking about. Where are your customers? So if your customers are at, at some other place, well, how can you tap into that? And you can call it leverage the same way so that you can go ahead and reciprocity of, you know, every content creator needs more content. You don't have to do all of your own. You can curate it. So you could do a guest post for Huffington Post and get access to their audience. You could be a podcast guest on on somebody's show and access their audience. So it's not uh, just building a silo there. 
with that, I think there is an important part that you have to have a place where they can come back to see you. You know, if you're always, they just know you as the, uh, the guest on the Johnny Carson show or something, and they've got no other place to follow you, uh, mm-hmm. you're going to have a hard time with that. But, yeah, I, I agree with that. And um, curation is such a big part, too. You know, the, you get credit for what you introduce people to. You know, the best museums in the world didn't make all of the, the art. They don't even own all of the art. But they've gone through and found stuff that people really like and their, you know, their ideal customers like, and they bring it together. And so because of that, they're, they're known as the go-to place. And I think that can be used also very powerfully, um, and especially with the connections of the Internet there. If you find something that you think your, your customers could be interested in, we'll share that on with them. Not only will the person that, that you shared it or that, that originally made it, not only will you build a relationship with them, but you'll also be seen as, hey, this is the guy that, that knows um, the information that, that I need. So there's a, a dual way there that you can get leverage. Awesome. Hey, I was walking around and I did not see my Skype, and Jan uh, has a question. She had a question at 1221. So, Jan, I'm so sorry. I just now <laughs> saw your message. Go for it. Well, Tom, this is great. You've been sharing some uh, just great information, and it's near and dear to my heart because I, I came into Internet marketing a lot through e-commerce. And this was, you know, probably six or seven, eight years ago when, of course, everybody was talking about content marketing, but people weren't doing it with e-commerce. And I kept thinking, this is the perfect place to do it because it doesn't matter even in a real store. People walk in. They want to get to know who's there you know, you walk into a hardware store, there's a difference between going into the local hardware store and a big box store, and that has to do with the person who knows something. And I look at it kind of the same way, especially online with niche sites, is one of the things that as people get more sophisticated searching, they want to know that the site they're shopping at that there's people behind it that have some expertise and caring, or mainly just that there's actual people behind it. So I really like that you're uh, pulling that into e-commerce because the other thing I've noticed is I think it shows uh, the thing is the people that are selling these products have the expertise. They actually know what they're selling and why you would use it and all those questions uh, and, and the answers to all the questions that real people have when they get ready to buy them. And, and that's the thing is that we're all selling a commodity on the mm-hmm. Internet. If you think you've got a um, such a unique product that no one else has it, just go ahead and search the Internet. There's so many out there. So what differentiates you? And I, I would say e-commerce isn't just selling on eBay or Amazon. If you've got a website, you're using that as a marketing and sales engine to build your business. So the same e-commerce principles apply. So if you just go ahead and try selling on a picture and a price, well, that's, that's a true supply and demand curve where the price is going to keep getting driven down and down and to no profits. So really you've got exactly. to look at it and say – 
what, how, how can I add value to this transaction? And so you could be selling the same you know, life insurance that everybody else is. But if you can go ahead and help them find the right, right um, plan for them, or you can answer their questions, or you can be more responsive or more helpful, um, that's, that's what will we'll gain the business. And we'll also gain better margins with that. So one of the one of the struggles we have with inbound for e-commerce is first nobody knows what inbound marketing is, and the second one is people don't realize that they're in e-commerce. And we've worked with yes. coaches, consultants, uh, nonprofits, and really, if you're if you're using your website to um, uh, as a sales and marketing engine, you're in e-commerce, and the same same things apply. And if you aren't, then uh, even the IRS considers it a hobby. Well, you know, the other thing that I noticed when we were doing, um, one of the things I noticed right off the bat was I wrote lots of articles and information about all the products and, you know, basically went through the top three questions and all of this trying to drive traffic to the site. Of course, that was the big goal, bring more people into the site. But the first thing I noticed immediately within the first week it kept people on the site much longer. The time on the site like tripled and only went up. And that showed me that people that got there wanted to engage with information because you could see where they went. They didn't just bounce around from product to product to product. They wanted to find out more about what was going on. And, and that kind of hit me that that's fulfilling that human need that we have. The great Very thing about so. the Internet is that you can research stuff, right? And that's the cool thing. There's a, there's a great uh, article I did. It was the first 12 blogs that you should write, and I'll post that up on uh, tmschwab.com forward slash, forward slash traffic masters. Uh, and basically, it's the questions that you don't want to answer that your customers are asking. So how much does this cost, right? So how much does working uh, with Gina and Jack cost? Well, there might not be a number answer with that, but you can explain the value of it, what different things are, are there. Another one is worst reviews about and put your, um, put your company name or product name in there because you know people are going to go ahead and, and Google that. And you want yours to come up first. And not all of us have great, um, great relationships with all of our customers. There are some customers that don't work well with our system, right? If they're not on the Internet, chances are they're not going to be a, a good customer. Well, go ahead and put those up there and explain why it is that, um, uh, that, that they're not good for you. And it almost is a great way to, to make sure that you don't attract the wrong type of customers. There's a, um, a T-shirt company called Johnny Cupcakes out of Massachusetts, and he actually took one of his negative reviews um, and made a T-shirt out of it, and it went viral. And the name of his store is Johnny Cupcakes because that was his nickname, but this guy put a, a Yelp review up there, I think it was, that uh, it was awful. He stood in line for an, an hour or something, got in there, and the place doesn't even sell cupcakes. Well, you know, that's, that's a negative review, but go ahead and use that. Respond to it. Explain it. Um, 
you can go ahead and say what are the 10 best um, um, people in your industry. Well, go ahead and, and list them right there because you're going to be one of the 10 and you can explain why you're better in some areas or why you work with different customers. And you know what the funny part is, is that when you go ahead and put that out and those other nine competitors that you've listed there, they'll probably share that list because they were named on it. Yep. So all of things like that, you know, ask, answer the questions that people are asking. I would say that was one of the, the most important lessons I learned from content and inbound marketing was in college. Too often I'd take a test, and if it was an essay test, it'd come back with ATQ written over the top of it, which meant answer the question. And that's all we really need to do. If one person is asking a, asking a question, well, let's put it up there for everybody. If it's a one-in-a-million question, that means 3,000 other people, um, excuse me, 7,000 other people are searching for that same question. You know, one time I did uh, some work for local a uh, local plumber, and getting content out of those this kind of group is really difficult because they don't want to share anything because they they're not used to it. So I interviewed him and got a bunch of stuff. And one of the things was, tell me some problem that you ran into and how you fixed it. Right? Mm-hmm. And he was like, I don't want to put that on my website. And I'm like, you've got to trust me on this. It's one of those questions that people want to know. It's what are you going to do if there's a problem? So he proceeded to tell a story about how they hit something, you know, accidentally and back and had to fix it and dig it all back up and blah, 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 blah. And sure enough, within about a month, someone called his office, you know, off the website and said, well, I called because I, I read that little sidebar quote where you talked about fixing a problem. And I want to work with somebody I know that will, you know, do what it takes. Yeah, sometimes sometimes people don't read all the five-star reviews. They'll go ahead and uh, assume that you put all the five-star reviews there yourself. Sometimes the three-star reviews are the better ones. And if it's meaningful to somebody... Maybe they won't buy from you, but that's okay because you don't need every customer. You just need your ideal customers. Um, And better to, early on in the process, show them that, you know what, I'm probably not the best person for you. So if I get a company that comes to me and, you know, they're a a big company with lots of bureaucracies and, um, you know, meetings and everything takes forever to, um, uh, to go through and make a decision, you know, I'll, I'll tell them right up, I'm probably not the best person for you. You know, I like to work pe- with people that want to take action, want to see results, um, not just talk about it in meetings forever. So I'd ra- much rather, you know, um, have that known early on as opposed to, to working with a customer that they're not as thrilled as I am. Well, you know, yeah, because we've thing, all had those, right? <laughs> absolutely. Right. And it's, it, it's, it's frustrating for the customer. It's frustrating for the, the business. And from that standpoint, it doesn't mean that you're bad or they're bad. It's just not a good fit. So go ahead and right. making sure that's known. And sometimes we talk about that, you know, we go after the ideal buyer persona, but we also want to make sure we don't market to our negative buyer persona. People say, well, I've got crazy customers. I always respond to them, that's because you market to crazy customers. 
<laughs> I was just thinking that the other day. Uh, you know, we had we were having a discussion about that kind of thing, and I was like, well, you know, it's always um, about, just about every result we get is a reflection of what we put into it. It's not really fair to to blame the market, to blame anybody but yourself. And if somebody says, you know, I'm getting all these crazy customers, the first place I look is is what are some of the telltale signs in their marketing that's attracting these crazy customers? They're not just coming from nowhere. And if you have that problem, it's something you can solve. It's not just something to not feel bad about. Okay, you did something wrong. You did do something wrong. If you get a bunch of crazy customers, you're doing something wrong. But it also means you have the power to fix it, that you're not at the whim of someone else or any outside factors uh, as to whether or not you're going to be doomed to just work with crazy people for the rest of your career. Uh, it, even in the marketing automation, uh, I remember one customer that was so frustrated because he was getting all these requests um, from overseas where people would ask him questions and um, you know, want quotes, and he didn't do any overseas business. And I'm like, well, why don't you just add the question to the contact form? You know, do you live in the U.S. or overseas? And it becomes very easy at that point if they click overseas, then just put them into a different workflow and say, you know, thank you very much. Um, we don't sell overseas. You know, here's some resources in your area. Here's our blog. Here's all the rest of it. And, you know, that way you don't have to deal with customers that will never be customers. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, I found well, it very ironic when starting to work with more local people that one of the biggest um, complaints that I got is that they started getting more phone calls. And you're <laughs> like, yeah, okay, this is a complaint. Yeah, because they weren't the right people calling them. And, you know, that it, it's exactly what you say. You know, now it's like... Get the information out of them. You know, if you don't want certain people calling you, then tell them who they are <laughs> in some way, shape, or form so they know. You know, if you don't want cheap people calling you, people that are just like price checking and wanting you to run out, you know, to do an estimate, then say, our prices start at. Or if you're a regional business and you only serve people in in Florida or Southern Florida. Well, put that right underneath your phone number because as mm -hmm. frustrating as that is to to the business owner, it's also frustrating to the person that's making the call, the the visitor, the potential customer because, you know, if if they think that you're going to come and install a swimming pool for for them and you're 2000 miles away, well, you just wasted their time too. So, just making right. it very very clear with that. Mm -hmm. You know, more than anything, the thing I love about inbound marketing is that I've got to say this, I say this all the time, is it allows the business owners or the people behind the scenes, no matter what business you're in, to do what they're naturally good at, and that's communicating with people. So much of stuff that's online takes out the very element that makes them so successful in real life. And the thing about inbound marketing tools, the communication, the systems that you put together where you're sharing this information, really allows them to do what they already naturally do well. 
agree with 100% there, and it's really a system, and so many people don't like to sell. Well, you don't have to sell if you've built up your, your website and your whole system there to help people buy. Nobody likes to be sold. Everybody likes to buy. So if you can build up a system that attracts them, that it engages them and helps them to educate them on why your product or service might solve their problem, well, you've just gone ahead and solved their problem and your problem. Love it. So we've got just a couple of minutes to go. What's, uh, what's your best parting advice? based on? And, of course, it would be something just unique to today because we talked such a, an eclectic mix of things. <laughs> but what, what would you say to people? What, what do you want their biggest takeaway from today to be? The biggest takeaway today would be everything depends on your ideal customer. Don't, don't follow the next shiny object. Don't uh, take action on, on anything you just read about. Go ahead and say, who is my customer? What am I trying to do with them? And then through that strategy, try to figure out how you can use the tools to amplify what you're already doing. A new tool is not going to make a, a difference in your business if you don't understand how it fits into the overall strategy. Exactly. Target, target, target. Stay focused. And, uh, I mean, if you're really, really focused, you're going to think to do things that I only serve people in southern Florida. My prices start at. If you're really, really focused, I think a lot of these things that may not be obvious to people at times, it's not obvious to you uh, because you're too scattered. You're too thin. You're, you're trying to be all things to too many people and yourself, and you're not really laser-focused, honed in on your goals, what needs to happen for your business to hit its next quarter goal or whatever. And if you are, if you're in that zone, you start to think of things like, why don't I have this on my site? Why don't I have this content? Why haven't I answered these questions? And the other thing is competitive analysis. You can go and look at somebody who may be more popular than you. They might have more traffic. And it, apparently they have a lot more people that you'd like to have on your site, consuming your stuff, getting in your funnel, doing all that. Um, and and you can look to see where they're not being served, and you can start to serve them better there. But you can only see that stuff if you're really, really honed in on what the needs of your ideal customer are. So, Tom, um, thanks so much for being here. I know we're getting ready to run right out of time. We've got 30 seconds to go, and Gina's got some stuff she's got to say. Thank you. I just want to make sure that everybody knows how to find Tom. Tom, you want to give him a link one more time? Sure. If you just go to T.M. Schwab, S-C-H-W-A-B, just like the uh, investment broker but without the money, forward slash traffic masters, all the things that we talked about uh, here, um, resources are right there in one place, and uh, um, none of it's behind any sign-ups or anything like that, so you can click it and get it. Uh, and you can follow me on LinkedIn, connect with me there. Um, and if anybody has any questions, feel free to, to reach out to me. I always say what's ordinary to you is amazing to me. Thank you so much, Tom. This was an awesome, awesome episode. We really appreciate it. And if we can do anything else to help you, please just let us know. Jack and Jan and I will be back next week, same time, same place, for another episode of Traffic Masters. Have a great week, everybody. Join us Tuesday at noon Eastern for the next episode of Traffic Masters. From traffic to conversion 
to business success.